Thanks, Matt. How many years ago did I meet you at the gym? That's when I first met you, I think. Yeah, I think it was. That kind of dates us, doesn't it? So how many people are interested in uh, vocational ministry? How many see yourself in vocational ministry? That's a lot of hands, <laughs> too. The point is, this idea of ordained occupations is not for the vocational. If you're born again, and we'll go through this in, in great detail, this idea of an ordained occupation is biblical. And, and I hope to lay out a foundation that not only just deals with uh, the fact that it, it's based on assumptions, and I'll develop those assumptions, but in light of those assumptions, we'll hopefully look at a protocol as to how we apply that, the things that God's used in my life during the course of the things Matt's talking about that works for whatever you do, whether you're a stay-at-home mom, whether you're an engineer, whether you're whatever it is you do. So bear with me. We're going to cover a lot of country this morning, so get your Bibles ready, and we'll flip through a ton of Scripture. Uh, the first place we're going to turn, and forgive me because I can't see that one. I'll have to turn around a little bit to 2 Corinthians 10.13. Building off of uh, the theme verse for this weekend in 1 Corinthians 7, 17, Paul makes a similar point in 2 Corinthians 10, 13 with this issue of assignment. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 10, 13, though, he's not talking about the context of marriage like 1 Corinthians 7, 17. Here he's defending his ministry, okay, and the fact that God's using him. And he's making this point in 2 Corinthians 10, 13, but we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. So this area of influence is going to happen whether you're a rancher in northern Montana, whether you're a scuba diver in San Diego, California. It doesn't matter what that occupation is. That area of influence that God has assigned you is based on you being his. Okay, so that's, we're going to have to make a number of assumptions here, okay? Uh, as we go through this, uh, this area of influence. So before we move on, Back earlier, Paul makes a point, though, and this is kind of the credentials that he's building on this assignment with. Back in uh, two points, in verse 6, he says, And take every thought captive to obey Christ. I'm sorry, the end of 5. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. And then he finishes that thought in 7 when he says, Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. His point is this assignment we're going to develop is rooted in the fact that we're his. We're not just a little more moral. We're not just nice guys. We're not really good engineers. We're born again. Okay, and that's the first point that we want to talk about. Maybe talk about. Can you go ahead, one, Austin? Okay, so in this context, he's defending his ministry. He's talking about the fact that you must be born again, and the area of influence that God's assigned to us is relevant only to those who are his. So one more, Austin. Okay, so are we born again? Jesus makes a point in John 3, 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is foundational to this ordained idea. If, if we are born again, Paul makes the same point in 2 Corinthians 5, we have become new creations. When we stepped out of the dark into the light, everything changed. So whether you choose to be an engineer, whatever it is you choose to do, our number one goal, based on the fact that we've passed from dark to light, is to glorify God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That will happen in the middle of your job, of your vocation. God's assignment for you, that area of influence that he's given you, will happen in the middle of that job. That's where you'll spend the bulk of your life is in the middle of that job. God definitely wants to use that. Uh, again, that, that new creation, that new concept in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Go ahead, Austin. I apologize, we're not, this isn't working. So when we've passed from dark to light, we have to understand one thing, that as we're praying, this is what Jesus taught us in Matthew. Turn with me to Matthew 6. He's making a couple points, and I'm going to skim across, because how much time do I have, Matt, by the way? Okay, Nice. So he's making some points. Jesus is teaching us to pray, and he says in verse, uh, starting actually in verse 9, he says, Pray then like this, 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptations, but deliver us from evil. His point in that, that we are concerned about one thing as a believer in Jesus Christ. That's his will being done. It's being manifest in, in our life. And a lot of that will happen in the middle of our vocations. Uh, right on. Okay, assumption number two. First assumption, you're born again. Uh, second assumption, it's God's will that you be sanctified. First Thessalonians 4, 2-3. You don't necessarily need to turn to that. But for you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. We're going to go through five... Actually, four different assumptions, but in the fifth one, it's built on two parts. These are direct correlations, but they're not exhaustive. As a believer in Jesus Christ, this is God's will for your life, that you be sanctified. He's most concerned that in the life that he gives you to lead, that you're going to be sanctified in the middle of it, and guess what the byproduct is? His glory. That's how he chooses to work in our life, in that process of sanctification. For, for those who are married, for those who have children, you get sanctification. Sanctification is two sinners coming under one roof. Well, then you add a baby into that, oh my goodness, sanctification goes to a doctorate level. Well, that happens out there in the work world too. I have 450 people that, that work on my sanctification every day. I mean, it's a beautiful thing because God is always revealing the heart. He's always putting me in that place where I need to submit to him. So this, this idea of being sanctified is the one-to-one with being born again. He will get your attention. The beauty of serving a sovereign God is he makes no mistakes. He's seldom early, but he's never late. Okay, so in the middle of that sanctification, this is not a popular topic, but understand there will be suffering. Uh, Not a form of masochism, just the reality of how God chooses to get our attention. Bless you, Levi. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Understand if you desire to live a godly life, there will be persecution. And, and maybe we're not talking the persecution that goes on in China, but, but believe me, that persecution will be real for many different reasons. It's number one, God's way of getting our attention. It's number two, his way of revealing us working through our hearts in the middle of those situations, in the middle of those persecutions. Okay, So it's a reality. If you start to suffer and you feel like you're being persecuted, you're in solid ground. That's exactly where you're supposed to be. 1 Peter 4, 1-2, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. We're going to talk about that same way of thinking. Paul builds another point just like it. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Assumption number three. So we know we're born again. We know we're going to be sanctified. We know the middle of sanctification. We're going to suffer. Assumption three, in the middle of that suffering, we're to be thankful. This is not a trite statement. I remember discussing this issue with a lot of people in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. When it says, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and petition, present your request to God and the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and mind to Christ Jesus. This, this issue of being thankful... Paul makes the same point in 1 Thessalonians. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's not negotiable. If we're finding ourselves having a tough time, and I could go through story after story of being thankful in the middle of adversity, we just have to stop, and this is the truth. We respond as followers of Christ with the truth. Some days it's difficult. I had a friend text me yesterday I am so over my job. I, I am, and he just went on and on and on. I, said, I sent him a text later, and I went through a list of things. It's like, we know that we're to respond with the truth. This is the truth. We know that we're going to suffer. We know that in the middle of that suffering, God's going to be glorified because we're called to respond rightly. That mindset is not foreign to the believer. It's actually who we are in Christ. It's a part of what we bought into. He paid the price for it. He's given us the ability to the power of his spirit and the word that he's revealed to us to live well in the middle of adversity. Every time that I get to the point I'm kind of upside down, I run to Hebrews 11. Those guys actually had a tough. I wouldn't know tough if it hit me with a board. Seriously. Assumption number four. This assumption comes in two parts. There's a, a horizontal submission that goes on during the middle of this. And this is, 
This is really significant in light of your jobs because I guarantee you, you will have bosses that are jerks. It's again, it's a sovereign design. It's just the way God chooses to work. But in the middle of that, remember a couple of things. Even jumping back to Romans 13, are we to submit to the authorities? That's not negotiable. That's the mindset. And if I'm going through fast, we can come back to them. And at the end, I'm hoping to leave a little time we can answer questions too. So I'll try not to rifle through these quite so quickly. Uh, but in Romans 13, Paul makes the same point. It's like there's no authority established that God has not sovereignly put into place. Now, we may not always get that, but that's the truth. And so when we respond to certain situations, we're revealing whether or not we're trusting Christ. We're revealing that salvation in our life. It's being proven as we walk into the middle of those difficulties. Second one, Paul in Colossians 3, 23, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm reminded of that when I go to wash towels and, and, and wipe out toilets. It's like, this is your job. I want to do it well. The cool thing in the middle of that is we're not always going to do it as well as we would like to. I mean, God's grace is amazing, but our heart is to do it as well, that we're pursuing excellence, that we know that we're working for Christ. We want to do it well. It's not what we have the ability to do. And understand this, this, this is not a function of intellect. This is not a function of anything other than we being proven, found faithful. We want to honor him, whatever our job is. That one, that's our heart set and our mindset. That's, that's our goal. And even in the midst of failure, there's no mistake I can make that Christ didn't die for. We realize that in light of the difficulties, even as we fail, we can still honor him. I mean, this isn't some perfect standard we're dealing with Wesleyan perfectionism. This is just the direction we go. Jack Tenpin told me a long time ago, it's like, it's not about perfection, it's about direction. Which way are we heading here? Well, it's the same way with our job. We would want to, we would want to be the best at whatever we're doing, not pridefully and not arrogantly, but because we're trying to honor Christ. But in the middle of that, know that, that if we're, if we're being rebuked for the Lord's sake, praise God. But if we're being rebuked because we're being dorks, then we need to quit being dorks or quit being lazy or whatever it is that we're doing that we're being rebuked for. We should be doing our job really well. And in the midst of failure, if we're not, then we respond in repentance and we try and do our job better. So it's a mindset that's reflective of a heart set. So. 4B, the horizontal uh, always, always turns to a vertical submission. If we're submitted horizontally, flip that around for a second. If you're not submitted vertically, I can guarantee you in advance you will not be submitted horizontally. I look at it this way. As a, as a husband, as a father, as a grandfather, as all these different things, if I'm being the son that Christ has called me to be, chances are really good I'm going to be being the husband he's called me to be. Chances are really good I'm going to be being the father he's called me to be. I'm going to be being the grandpa that he's called me to be. But if that vertical submission is not in, pl in place and intact, then everything else is going to fall apart down underneath it. So in your jobs, that same protocol, if you're being the son or the daughter that he's called you to be, that's going to be manifest in your vocation because you'll be reflecting him as a result of that vertical relationship. James 4, 6, therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That mindset carries through in everything. Uh, you know, as a result of all this, uh, I'm going to say something and you're probably going to go, really? And maybe you've heard it before and maybe not. But as a result of all this, that we're born again, that it's God's will that we're sanctified, that we're going to be suffering in that, that we're thankful, that we're submitted horizontally and vertically. In terms of your relations, or in terms of your vocation, do what you want. I mean, this is not some hedonistic plea that you just do what you want. It's like, no. If, and I'm, and I'm going to build a case for this. If we're being what Christ has called us to be, he's the one on the throne of my heart. He's the one that, that we'll look at here that's giving me the desires of my heart. Psalms 37, 4 talks about the fact, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. We don't want to have that divided heart. We want to have that heart that beats to please him, even in the middle of, middle of failure. For some reason, we make this case. It's like, well, I'm a Christian, but I failed, so, so now I'm not a Christian. It's like, well, no. If you look at Scripture and you respond in the truth, Philippians 1, 6 says that he that began a good work is what? He's faithful and just to complete it. He's completing it in the midst of your failures. 
Oh, and by the way, he's completing it in the midst of your successes because he's giving you the desires of your heart. I remember the first time I heard this as far as knowing God's will. It's like, well, that's novel. But really, it's the case because I'm his. If I'm his, I don't have to have some big master plan. Jack and I were talking earlier. It's like, this isn't some mystery. It's like, well, no, he may change tomorrow, and I may be heading a totally different direction. I mean, I've been an engineer. I've been a builder. I've been a finisher. I've been a gym guy. I've been a student. I've been, I mean, tomorrow may be a whole different route. I have no idea. I mean, God's, 1 Timothy 6, he's given me everything for my enjoyment. That doesn't mean I'm a, I'm a Christian hedonist. I am. I totally agree with Piper. I think his mentality is, if anybody's read Desiring God, you know what I'm talking about. I, uh, I, I, in everything, I'm so excited. This summer, I get to go hike the John Muir Trail. Most people say, well, that's stupid. It's like, no, I'm excited. That's fun. I enjoy that. To somebody else, I totally get if you don't. But I mean, he's given me life to enjoy. I'm to be a bomb that goes off for Jesus Christ wherever I go. You are too. I mean, if we're born again, that's the reality of who I'm not some stoic that sits in a corner and cowers. Like, he's given me life and life abundantly. Whether rich or poor or anything, he made that standard. It's all inclusive. James 4, 1 and Matthew 6, he's talking about the fact this desire that we're talking about, this desire that, that ultimately reflects in hopefully delighting in the Lord, he's the one that we want to be in control of that desire. It's like Matt and I were talking beforehand. I'm not that smart to think that right before the building crashes, I think I'll build a gym. <laughs> that's God's doing. He gets all the glory. The fact that I get to study four hours a day, that's only him. I don't think I could think that through. You know. So when you submit your plans to the Lord, what? He's giving you his word as a lamp into your feet and a light into your path. And I'm really going to develop that here in a minute. But just a protocol of how we manage this desire. All of you have desires. Guarantee it. I don't care what that desire is. Well, at the bottom line of that desire, we want that desire to not only to be to please God, but to realize that he's got a direction. He's got a calling. He's got an election that we want to walk into. And that's not some mystical, this is the reality of me getting out of bed tomorrow. I want to be the best son that I can be. I want to be the best father, husband, all those things. So that's who we are in Christ. Okay, so the protocol, I want to, uh, this desire is something that you will, uh, you will deal with until you're glorified, until you take your last breath. So we want to deal really well with it. I thought I would jump into Philippians really quick because Paul set, the, set a case in Philippians of how, how Christ, you know, in his humility, condescended to come as a man to die for our sins. I don't think I can get my mind around that. I honestly don't. How can you cease being God? You can't. And yet he laid down his prerogatives so that I could have fellowship with the Holy Father. That's amazing. But his pattern is established in Philippians. So turn with me, if you would, to Philippians. So the whole thing is written around Philippians 2, 3 to 11, uh, just a pattern that Christ set. But in the midst of this pattern, Paul is building a case. Okay, He's m- building a case of how this happens. And he's got a number of things that, uh, that he's pointing out that I want us to understand uh, that's going to reveal this, this desire issue. Okay, so his example... That example applies to us. So how do we, just a quick question, and I like interaction back and forth. How do we have the same ability to do what Jesus did? If he said, you'll do greater things than these, how's that going to happen? Any ideas? How's Paul saying we can maintain this? Any ideas? True statement. How are you going to be humble? Amen. So here's the deal. He's given us his spirit. Not only does Ephesians want to deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, he's given us our, his spirit so that we can respond well, even in the midst of adversity, even in the midst of despair, even in the midst of those high moments. It's like, oh gosh. I mean, he's getting my attention daily, continually through the power of his spirit, through his revealed word. Okay, so Paul's charge of the Philippians. I I want you to walk away from this. In verse 27, he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in the Spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. More of that suffering. 
engage in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Bear in mind, Paul's in jail right here, giving them this message. I mean, so he, if we could say, well, I don't think he understands how difficult. Nobody here is in jail. So, I mean, if he can develop this mindset, you know, we want to make sure that we adopt that same mindset. He makes a number of points within Philippians. Uh, odd thing, in terms of desire, he was wrestling with whether or not he should die. And notice he says in the middle of this, uh, if I'm delivered to the flesh, that means fruit of liberty. Yet what shall I choose? He's pointing out the fact that, you know, he would rather die and be with the Lord. He's in the midst of this terrible adversity that I don't think we can, I know I can't get my mind around. And yet, but I think it's better if I stay here. I think it's better for you that I stay here. Because I think God has a lot more things for me to do right here, right now with you. So he's got a choice. He's got a desire. And so how does he deal with that desire? Okay, number one, he says in 2.5, one thing he's calling us to in 2.5, he says, have this mind among yourself. We're to have the same mindset. There is only one Holy Spirit. If we are born again, we all have that spirit that resides within us. He's in agreement. We know that he's in agreement because if you do a study sometime, if you get a chance to look at this, if you go to uh, Ephesians 5, and, and he talks about don't be drunk on wine, but be filled with the spirit. And you see all these things that happen. You're loving your wife like Christ loves the church, children are honor their parents, wives are so many, their husbands, you're seeing all these things going on. If you look back in Colossians 3, he makes the same point, but guess what he says? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Okay, and what happens? The same thing. Husbands are loving their wives, wives are submitting to their husbands, children are thankful, everybody's honoring God. So the point is, the spirit that he's given us, there's only one spirit. There's only one revealed word. It's all in agreement. He's given us his word. So have that mindset among yourselves. Hold fast to the word in 2.16. And when I get through with this short one, we're going to jump into how we hold fast to the word and the significance of the word in our life. But in 2.16, he says, holding fast to the word of life. When you run into difficulty in the middle of this ordained occupation, your best platform is holding fast to the word of God. I'm going to deal at the end of this with a... a an example or an application of what we're talking about here, how you, how coming out of college and heading into uh, life as a more of an adult or more of a 3.2 kids in a white picket fence, how we deal with that in terms of difficult situations. And our protocol is holding fast to the word. The word has laid that foundation, how I respond to debt, how I respond to customers, how I respond to parenting, how I respond to everything. It's revealed in the word of God. So we need to hold fast to it. Next one, there's two mindsets he's talking about here is the fact that we realize our citizenship is in heaven. I'm here for a while, a short while. In light of eternity, this 54 years is a blink. And however many I have left, I have to keep telling myself the truth. This is not my home. As much as I love some things here and hunting and different things and all the different things that are in my life, that's great. But my citizenship is in heaven. I'm waiting for my Lord to come back. The last one is, how do we have the secret of contentment and peace? It's our dependence on Christ. He, being a sovereign God, rolls me through these realities that I want to respond in faith, trusting that whatever that difficulty is, he's revealing himself through it to me. Through his word, he's given me his revealed will, that I honor him in the middle of adversity, that I honor him in, in all those situations. Okay, so holding fast. Understand that in, in that statement, holding fast to the word of God, that's really a participle. And what is, he, what is it driving back up in 14? He says, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked or twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. So really the issue is that we're not, dis, we're not disputing, we're not grumbling. I'd love that to be said of me. And yet when I respond, I want to make sure I'm responding with the truth. How did Jesus respond when he was tested four times? With the truth. His word is truth. How are you sanctified? John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You're sanctified in the middle of God's word. So the significance of God's word. Moses made a statement back in Deuteronomy 32, 46 to 47. It's like, the word is your very life. 
that's a tough one to get around sometimes. When you're out knee-deep in the water and the water's just coming up here and rising, it doesn't seem like it's my life, and yet it is. And we know it for a couple different reasons. Uh, by his word we were created, Hebrews 11.3, Psalm 33 as well. Uh, by his word he upholds the universe. All these things are all relative to his word. Our spiritual life began by his word, James 1.18. I'll leave this one up for a while if you want to look through all those. The number one assumption of being born again began by his word, 1 Peter. Notice the consistency in all this. The word is it's everything in our life as a believer. If you want to respond well in your jobs, be saturated. Be Romans 12, 1 and 2. Be transformed daily by the renewing of your mind. That's the only way you will take a stand. That's the only way that you will be able to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. That's the only way that you'll be able to respond in a manner that's glorifying to him. Uh, uh, we find our daily sustenance by his word. Jesus said, uh, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Sometimes that's tough to digest, and yet it's true. We find our sustenance in his word. So here's one. Psalm 119.9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to his word. Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes that I wouldn't sin against you. We are saturated with God's word. It's like MacArthur makes a statement. I don't have a sin come to mind that I don't have 42 verses come out to respond to it. You want to respond well to sin? Know the truth. John 831 and 832 said, you will prove to be my disciples if you know the truth and the truth will set you free. I'm sorry, you will know you will prove to be my disciples if you know the truth and the truth will set you free. Not if, sorry. Any questions about any of that? How do we do it? How do you do it when you get really busy and your kid's been up crying all night and, and you're fighting with your wife and you're whatever you want to throw in the mix and you're, you just have this lots of, lots of adversity? How do you find time to get in the Word? How do you find time to stay with a mindset that honors God? Get up earlier. <laughs> Whatever it takes, I guess, is the point. Seriously, and that sounds trivial, but it's like I used to tease my boys. It's like the best way to get up early in the morning is go to bed early at night. Establish those patterns in your life that you're going to be in God's word without fail. It's like, oh, I'm not too busy. I mean, if you want a real deterrent to not being in the word, go back and read the parable of the sower in Matthew 13. The guys that resisted the word of God that had no impact in their life, what happened? Nothing. Only the one that the seed went down deep and produced a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 90 fold. Let that word impact your life. The safest place to be is in the middle of, of the will of God. The safest place to be is knowing the truth. Second Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10 talks about the fact they did not receive a love of the truth. They chose wickedness over goodness. So as a result, God sent them a delusion that they couldn't believe the truth. I want to know the truth. Even if the truth is saying, Alan, you're out of line. Because then I can respond in repentance. I can, 2 Timothy 2.24 and 2.25, I can res repent because God has granted me repentance. That's a mindset I never want to lose. That's a pattern of life that as God's word is just saturating my life, it just comes back out. It never comes back void. It always does its intended purpose. Thoughts about that? Questions? I have an example I want to go through, but before we get to that. Yes, sir. Brandon. So I think there's a uh, priority there, Brendan. That so, I read tons of good books. I have a great library. I have tons of really, really good materials that have helped me a lot. Uh, that have really, in fact, Desiring God has been one of them. I'm kind of stoic. It's like I can do that, God. I'm sure I can. It's like, then the reality shows up and He face plants me. It's like, I need to be saturated in God's Word first and foremost, and yet I know that He will give me time to go through the other materials I get to. You really need to be careful about what you read, though, because there's a lot of ideas out there that are foreign to Scripture. And don't just buy into a favorite author of yours or something like that. But at the end of the day, uh, Blake taught me this. It's kind of like a quick little cheat note. If you're going to read a book 
You know, even if someone's recommended it to you, which I read books that are recommended a lot, go to Amazon and read the very best review of it and the very worst review of it. Because even if I don't agree with either one of them, they're going to give me what the book's about. And so I don't have to spend, you know, six, eight hours reading a book that was a total waste of time. But does that make sense? How you balance it is there is no balance. There is no balance in the kingdom. Everything is kingdom. Everything else takes a second seat. So, and yet at the end of the day, I find time to read tons of books. Look at the detail in your life. And Blake also taught me this one. It's like every time you have 15 minutes, have a book with you. Seriously. And we're not just going to be reading for reading's sake. But man, we, don't, we want to know the truth. We want to be saturated in that truth. But the time I'm talking about in the Word, it happened early this morning. Long before I ever got on the road to come here. It has to happen before everything else does. Uh, there's a ton of people out there that have different perspectives. It really doesn't matter to me. It matters to me that you're in God's Word. If you're in God's Word, it's going to take root. It really is. It says that it will take root. I believe that. Not just in my life, but I believe the fact that its author says that it will take root. Realize this is his word. Your view of God's word is directly proportional to your view of God. It is his word. Someone said the other day, uh, uh, he was making an illustration of his son. And I, I deal with this in five different studies. And praise God, after the last few years, everybody is in the word. Maybe to a lesser or greater extent, but they're in the word. It, and it wasn't because I harped on them forever, but it's just like they got to the point they seen the value and God changed their mind. And so... I don't have to deal with that quite as much anymore, but this gentleman I was talking to made the point. It's like, I have a really great relationship. He's explaining this to a friend. I have a really great relationship with my son, and this friend asked him, well, you know, when did you talk to your son last? Oh, we don't talk. You know, it's like, how do you have a really great relationship? Well, it's no different. I have so many people that are my age that never, ever read the scriptures. Well, how are you, number one, going to take your stand? I mean, really, because the enemy, he will own you given the opportunity. And in light of that stand, it's really revealing what that desire we talked about in Psalm 37 is. You know, Spurgeon made the case, it's like, do you desire to honor Christ? Oh, then you're born again in light of election. And then you're born again. He said, well, you do not desire to glorify Jesus Christ? No, well, then you're not born again. This is easy. I mean, look at the obvious. I mean, the things that you, remember this and don't forget it. You do one thing, exactly what you want to do. Now, at the end of the day, what do you want to do? I mean, that's kind of a hard statement as to reality. Somehow we've taken smooth over the soft edges. If I really want to get in God's word, guess what? I'm going to do whatever it takes to get in God's word. I had a class a number of years ago, which would have been my, this is one of those pen illustrations, Matt, that you're talking about. I, it was a Pauline class, but my f- most favorite professor. Uh, and I was having a tough time doing the materials. Like, oh, I got to go read. You know, it's like, where normally I'd be going, oh, I get this. It's like, it's like, wow, God changed my heart. You know, I would normally be just on this, like, white on rice, just eating it up in big, huge quantities. And yet at the end of the day, I'm like struggling to get into my study to study it. Well, who do you think is going to honor that? That's his will being done. He wants me to study the Pauline epistles. I guarantee it. And so we petition the one, if we're struggling getting done, being in the study, being in the word, uh, making that our first priority, if, if I'm protecting myself and protecting myself is the issue, God's word is protecting me, then he's the one that's going to change my heart to have it line up. And it is a function of protection. Think about, about this. Look at the Ten Commandments. The first four, what, it's that vertical submission, right? We're looking at everything pertaining to God, but it's for my protection. It's in my best interest that I keep God first, that I don't have any idols. The second set is that horizontal submission. Guess what? It's really good that I don't commit adultery. It's really good that I don't steal and that I don't murder. That whole mindset is just, he's, he's setting me up for protection. He's not setting me up for destruction. The issue is, am I going to submit to him? So keep it a priority. Make sure nothing else happens until that does happen. Time of day means nothing, but make sure it's a priority. For me, when I get into the day, I usually have so many things going on. If I'm not grounded to start with, I'll just run into this and not know how to respond. So good question. Any other questions? guys are easy. All right. Here's an example. Everybody in this room will deal with this. In regards to your ordained occupation, what is our perspective about income? I want you to know that what the world says is totally antithetical to what Scripture says. So let's look at a couple verses here. 
Turn with me to Hebrews 13.5. All right, the author said, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for you said I will never leave you nor forsake you so we can confidently say the Lord is my helper I will not fear what can man do to me what's his point here in light of keeping yourself free from the money what's the litmus test of that freedom from money he actually says it mm -hmm. so that's, that's the question that I ask myself every day are we content I mean, because honestly, I live like a king. I live in a big house, and I blah, 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 everything that the world says they value. Well, am I just as content tomorrow if I don't have any of that? And I've been as broke, I've been so broke I couldn't pay attention. I get every side of that equation, seriously. And yet, at the end of the day, I have to ask myself those hard questions. If it's gone, are we still good? I maintain that you will never know if Jesus Christ is all you need until Jesus Christ is all you have. And he will be busy revealing it in a really good way. It's not for my demise. It's for his glory. Second verse. Turn with me to 1 Timothy charges for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils it is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs did they lose their salvation that's not his point his point is you know what these desires we're talking about these are the ones we want to saturate in God's word I don't want to find myself loving money I want to be content whatever that situation looks like I want to make sure I'm, I'm fine with it from my heart not that I'm always you. You will prove with your responses where your heart really is. And if our responses don't line up like God's responses, we're left as a believer in Jesus Christ with one response, repentance. That's our only response. It's like, wow, Father, forgive me. Another cool thing about following a sovereign God, he sets, up the, he sets it up so we get to deal with it. We just want to deal really well with it. Keeping ourselves free from the love of money. Nothing wrong with making boatloads. David had more money than we'll ever think about having. The issue is, does the money have us? We can have money, but does money have us? I've had people that work for me that make unbelievable amounts of money, and I've had people work for me that make nothing. And I've known people that make nothing to be way more enamored with money than the people that have money. And at the same time, people that have a lot of money, uh, for some reason it seems to be significant. And you can always tell when it's significant when you take it away because then you see the responses. God is busy revealing our heart graciously, kindly, tenderly every day. So look at the truth. John 4, Jesus said, worship in spirit and truth. My Father desires true worshipers. Look at the truth of where our heart lands. If we're knowing the truth and the truth setting us free and we're responding poorly, if I'm just getting a job so I can, and I've been here. I graduated from MSU in 88, like 100 years ago. I mean, and so I was all about making money, and then when I get out of debt, and then when I'll... In fact, story of stories, when I moved back to Montana, my goal, my wife and I's goal was to be debt-free. I don't think that's unreasonable. Scripture says, let no debt remain outstanding. God continually took me to the mat. It's like, are we doing this to honor my word? Are we doing this so you can count on you? I have a real propensity to want to count on me. I don't want to count on me. I've done that so many times and fallen on my face. It's way easier to let God be God. And then I'll just follow him. That just makes the choices so much simpler. So I want to keep myself free from the love of money. That's one of those things that will just draw me away consistently. Just don't let it. It's not, not worth it. Believe me. So last one, Matthew 6, 24. Jesus talking, he says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's that simple. This is just one test. I mean, this is one simple litmus test, I should say. Uh, 
you will be called in light of that persecution issue. I mean, you'll be called to compromise consistently, guaranteed, even in the gym business, uh, even as a builder. I would really resist people coming on the job sites and talking like sailors. Not that I wasn't raised like a sailor. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I know every cuss word you can think of. And yet at the end of the day, that's not what God's called me to. And so I would just let that out there and say, this is not okay. I've had people, well, I'll leave. It's like, well, don't let the door hit in the butt. I mean, seriously. I mean, we have, a, we have a function of integrity, and wherever God's calling us to, to hold to that integrity. Even at the gym, I am forever coming in since I have a 24-hour gym. And there's music playing. It's like, oh, my goodness, how can you hear that? I'm not some, I mean, I was raised in the 70s. I, you know, I'm familiar with music. And yet at the end of the day, wow, you listen to that? I mean, there is just, it is just an element of, whoa, my goodness. So we go change the radio. But you're called to take that stand graciously, kindly, and yet at the end of the day, take that stand. We're called to be salt and light. Don't lose your saltiness. What are we good for if we're not salty? Any questions? Yes. Yeah, totally get that. I'm in the middle of that, totally. And I think it's a lot like Brendan's question about how do we get in the Word. It has to be a priority and, and a, a decision. It's kind of like a mission statement. If you're studying business at MSU, they're going to have you go through and develop your mission statement and all these ideas. Well, my mission statement, number one, is 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever I'm doing. That's not some pat answer or some phrase that's like, no, even in the middle of me failing, I can still glorify Him. Say I've... Uh, so this is a true story, not that it means a great deal, but there's a lady that came to my gym for like six years. And she called me one day and she was totally ticked off at me. I'm thinking, okay, I'm missing this. And she's upset because I'm letting people run their diesels in the middle of the winter out in the parking lot. I'm thinking, uh, I would run my diesel out in the parking lot. Sorry. My point is, it's like I can still, even though that situation seemed odd, I can still go to her and say, you know, and she quit the gym. But at the end of the day, I don't want to have a conflict of interest. I'm not... I want to respond well to that, kindly, gently, although I thought it was like the dumbest request in the world. Like, number one, I can't tell someone to do it with their vehicle, even if it's in my parking lot. But I can still respond kindly, gently, just like Scripture says, 2 Timothy, all those different ways that we respond. But it goes back to what is my goal? It's to honor Jesus Christ. Because even if she walked away from that, she at least hopes, or could, I hope she would see that I'm responding in a way that Jesus Christ would respond. Even if she, we don't save the same, serve the same Lord, that she would still see that in my business model. And so, uh, maybe that doesn't answer your question. It comes in how, you know, one thing that's really refreshing me every year that I go to Grace's annual meeting, they run the church like the business should be run. They live within their means, they, they budget, they allocate, they, uh, that's my background, a controls engineer. Things like that matter to me, making business decisions that it's like, no, we're not always living outside the envelope. We live at a time right now, it's Burger King, have it your way. That is not biblical. I mean, we need to be living within the, the parameters that God's given us. Like the Hebrews 13.5, be content with what you have. You know, we, we apply those same models. Well, if you're a builder, I want to run my job site the way that I'm convinced God wants me to run it, not for my glory, for his glory. You know, and then they walk away from that. I had a lady walk up to me and go, it's so nice to be on your job site. Well, that's the way it should be. It's not going to happen if I start uh, compromising. You know, if I start letting it be something God didn't intend it to be, whether it's building, whether it's in the trades, whether it's having a gym, whether it's owning a small business of whatever sort, I have to make that, that direction first and foremost because the world will call you to compromise it. I guarantee it. Jesus said, if you disown me for others, I'll disown you before my Father in heaven. I don't want to disown him. I just want to make sure that even in the midst of my failures that I'm still honoring and we will fail. That's what he died for. Any other questions? So you have to submit your organization, for example, but what if your submission to your boss kind of conflicts with that submission to the Lord? In circumstances like that, where there's a risk of you losing your job, well, what would you recommend? I'd recommend submitting vertically. And I, I don't say that because I was going to be smart, and that's not good, so... Uh, because 
Because what's really going on in that, uh, I apologize, what's your first name? James. James, the reason that, uh, that seems like a struggle, and it's not a struggle. Because if I'm honoring him in, that, in the middle of that, I mean, because I've had a number of bosses over the course of years that knew I was a Christian and they weren't. And they still see our good deeds and they would hopefully glorify my Father in heaven. Hopefully they would be drawn to the cross as a result of that. But if I'm called to do something Scripture says I'm called not to do, I'm not doing it. I mean, and so uh, I want to make sure that I'm being very sensitive to that because I don't want it to be preference. I want it to be sin. If it's sin, I'm not doing it. If it's preference, then I can submit to the authorities and not have an issue with it. But if they're wanting me to do something dishonest, if they're wanting me to do something that I don't think Scripture buys into, then now, you know, with all due respect, I was looking for a job when I found this one. You know, and I'm not being arrogant, and that was my smart reply, but uh, we just have to make sure that that's the standard. Because if you start compromising that standard, it will never end. Guarantee you. Not just in what you watch, it's what you hang out with, it's what you read. It's just a heart issue. So don't compromise that standard. And I'm not standing up here saying I haven't failed at great length. Don't misunderstand me. I'm just saying his standard is the one we want to shoot for. And we know that because he didn't lower the bar. He raised the bar. He said, I tell you, if you look at a woman unless you've committed adultery, I tell you, if you anger with your brother from the heart, you've committed murder. He raised the bar. But he's given us his spirit and he's given us his word to live that life out. So... Don't start compromising because that end will never come. That there will not be a pot of gold at the end of that rainbow, just for the record. But good question. Any other questions? So what is our perspective about being Can't worship Yeah. Yeah, and, and having said that, I, and I wanted to talk about that when I was there. Thank you. Uh, I still have to pay my bills every month. I even have a mortgage on my gym. I mean, I get that. I get paying my bills. But if I don't understand, first and foremost, God is the one that opened the gym, and God is the one that will keep the gym open. He is the one that ultimately signs my paycheck. He is the one that ultimately signs your paycheck. If we keep that first and foremost, then if God wants to close the gym, that's up to God. That doesn't, doesn't rule out me getting out of bed and doing my job well. I'm called to do that. Read Luke 17, 7, the unworthy servant. I mean, our mindset needs to be like Luke 17, 7. It's like, whatever, God. Whatever you want me to do, that's what I want to do. Pick me. And yet at the end of the day, for some reason, we kind of go, well, if God's going to keep it open, then I just won't do anything. I find myself in that mindset sometimes, like, go clean the bathrooms, Alan. I don't want to go clean the bathrooms. Anyway, it's just cleaning bathrooms. Go do them, you know. I'm supposed to be honoring him in the middle of it. But uh, know very well that he's the one that ultimately signs your paycheck. He's the one that Colossians passage. He's the one that we're really ultimately working for. And if he wants me to go to another job, I was wanting to go to that job anyway. So, good question. Any other questions? Yes, sir. Um, what, if any, is the biblical argument for moving up past the typical like, college kid job? Like, is there any reason to stay, like, in vague strokes. Uh, I think it's more of a mindset, Brendan, because and it's kind of like I tell my daughter this. It's like, if you find something you like to do, it's no longer work. I mean, but honestly, I said that when I was a taper. So, I mean, and people hate taping. Well, I liked taping. I think it's just a mindset. And so uh, it was a great way for me at the time that I could do the other things because while I was a finisher, actually while I finished Grace, I was building houses at the same time and then I was doing subdivisions at the same time too. And so, and I was going to Montana Bible at the same time too. But my point is, it's, it's just a perspective. I want to, whatever it is, I want to do it well. And then in light of doing it well, if I get promoted, praise God. But I don't want to, I am so prone to arrogance and so prone to pride. It's like, mm, not interested. I would rather be back there cleaning toilets. You know, honestly, I think Jack and I were talking, I think that's why CrossFit's in my life. It's so humbling. I mean, I want to make sure I'm in a position that God has my undivided attention. 
And if I move up as a result of that, praise God. And if I don't, I like where I'm at. You know, but it's a heart issue. I want to be able to pay my bills. I'm neither naive nor stupid. And yet at the end of the day, uh, that's up to God too. So I hope that answers your question. We want to do what we do well to honor him. And if there's something comes with that, right on. If it doesn't, I want to be content. Whatever it is, I want to be content. I want to keep checking my heart daily that I'm right, okay, wherever he has me. So, good question. Any other questions? No, I think when, uh, oh, I think it's in the Psalms and it says a righteous man will prosper in whatever he does. I mean, I don't think that prosperity is just equivalent to money, yet at the end of the day, I mean, that's kind of a natural default. But if it takes me being broke for God to get my attention, then I want to be broke. You know, if it takes me being rich for me, I heard it said one time that to every thousand people that can handle wealth, there's maybe one that can. Well, the one that can is the one that, sub- that can well honor God in light of that well statement. Uh, He's submitted to God every day. He knows that that wealth ultimately came from God. And just as God can... Ecclesiastes 7.13 makes a really cool point. It says, uh, rather in times of adversity or times of prosperity, understand that God... This is a loose paraphrase. Understand that God's sovereign over him because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm not concerned with tomorrow. I'm called to be concerned with today. And so in light of today, I want to respond really well to that. If that means I'm making more money, then right on. I mean, we've had more memberships here lately. Oh, praise God. Well, tomorrow there may not be more memberships. So that's totally up to him. If you want to have peace in all those situations, quit looking at that test and look at where your heart's at in the middle of the one you're in right now. Whether it's your marriage or whether it's your whatever it is, just keep checking your heart. Hebrews 4.12, write that down, memorize it. The living word of God will expose your thoughts and intents of your heart. I always want him to be exposing my thoughts and intents. Some days that's not a pretty picture. Sometimes I find myself there with Paul in Romans 7, 15 to 25. The things I want to do, I don't. The things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Well, I'm in a good place because the closer I see it, the closer I walk with Christ, the more it's, it's revealed. I want it to be revealed. Paul said, examine yourself. that You wouldn't receive such a strict judgment. I want it to be out there. I want to live transparently. I've lived and it's not not worth it. Just be totally transparent. Any other questions? actually have a couple like that and it's really refreshing Uh, a consistency because as a believer uh, even though there is a difference between men and women I get that and just the mindsets and emotional and all that uh, just a consistency to even in the midst of failure still want to honor God you know I have this one lady that works at the gym it's like she's like a gift I mean it's like I don't have to worry about stuff I mean, where I've, back in the trades, oh my goodness. I mean, I'm a Christian. It's like, we're good. I mean, serious, that, that's such, uh, I just feel spoiled rotten at the gym right now. But uh, that consistency is the key. Because it's not that they're not going to fail. I guarantee I fail. And yet at the end of the day, how do I respond to that failure? You know, consistency in their life that they really do want to glorify God in what they're doing. You know, just a humility. Because if we realize who we are in Christ, that should come with the humility. I mean, if that doesn't come with the humility, you know, I would question that. And yet you might be thinking what I'm saying is really arrogant, but at the end of the day, I know where my bread is buttered. I mean, I know who's on the throne, and I'm really thankful for that. And he's taken me through much adversity to go, oh, okay, I think I get that. I am thick-headed, and I have kids just like me. My goodness. Anyway, so just look for that consistency, I guess is my point. And the cool thing is, even in the midst, I don't necessarily look for believers, although I always want to bless believers uh, with work, I mean, something like that. Uh, that area of influence that we're talking about in 2 Corinthians 10, 13, it's wherever you are. And wherever that area is, like I said, I want to be a bomb that goes off for Christ. And it may involve a lot of unbelievers. Well, guess what? I mean, 
that's where God's going to use you. I would question if the bulk of my friends are unbelievers. I really would. I'm not minimizing that. The bulk of your friends should be believers. Um, that's the way it should be. I mean, Scripture would build that case. And yet at the end of the day, if, 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 if somebody's going to come to Christ, hopefully you're going to be that area of influence that you're speaking into their life, you know, speaking truth to their life, living that life in consistency and humility. So hopefully they see that in you, see that in me. Anything else? Yep. Right. Uh, you know, and I've been really fortunate. I shouldn't. I shouldn't speak with the gym. Like, I think out of the ten years, I maybe had like what I would consider, and forgive my language, two or three people that I would consider dorks. I mean, that would just like make a really fun environment not fun. I mean, just rain heavy on the parade, you know. Uh, and so I've been really fortunate with that. But I always look at that as an opportunity to, uh, for God to stretch me, number one. If I'm, I'm not feeling really cool in that situation, then I, I look for ways for him to change my attitude. I actually have one lady right now that's just, she's... Uh, for lack of a better phrase, she's really annoying me. I mean, she is convinced the world revolves around her. I mean, it's on a daily basis. Can you bring my phone to my house? Can you? I'm thinking, sure, I'll get right on it. I don't think service is necessarily what we think service is. So when you're dealing with large amounts of people, uh, if you're going to reveal that, I still have to be consistent with her. Don't, mis don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Yet... Uh, this is too much information, so I don't want to leave too much out here. But she is of a persuasion that uh, uh, is convinced she's saved. I'm not, that's what she would say, she's saved. And yet she's really self-centered, my goodness. And I don't want to talk any more about that. But the point is, is I'm waiting for the day that we can talk about what this really means. Because, I mean, she will let her kids come in the gym when I'm not around. I have video cameras. This is not rocket science. And they turn my gym into a zoo. Everybody knows you can't turn the gym into a zoo. I mean, this is the place where people come to work out. And we want kids there and stuff like that. But as the leader of that show, I want to be kind and gracious in that to her. But I still have to set that pattern and say, this is not going to continue. So when you're responding to people, when you're looking for people, you want to be leading that charge because God's put you in that area of influence for a reason. You know, so does that answer your question? Did I even come close? <laughs> All right. Yes. Um, maybe you already answered this, but as a boss and a lawyer, how do you approach talking about scripture? And number one, don't apologize for it. And I, I try to not be arrogant about it, but, uh, and that always, when you're saying something somebody doesn't agree with, they're going to say you're being arrogant. It's like, well, no, that's just, I didn't write it just trying to follow it, you know, and so, but I don't apologize for it, and it's like, well, this is the pattern that scripture says I should respond to, like with this lady that I was speaking of, like, I am called to lead that gym, I take that responsibility very seriously, not just from a financial standpoint, although I still need to pay my bills, but from a standpoint that I want to see him honored in the middle of it, so if there's something that comes to me, whether it's from employees, uh, but that's a prime example, employees, uh, if we uh, for example, people will want time off and stuff like that. It's like, well, you know, I guess I can't do that. But I do. I always make that, since I've opened, it's like, don't worry about it. If you need time off, you just tell me. Tell me enough in advance, and I'll just take care of it. I'll just do it. I always want to be found, you know, serving them in that pattern. And yet, uh, kind of the same thing with, with members. Sometimes they're convinced you should pay them for their membership. <laughs> I'm thinking, Okay. Makes sense. But at the end of the day, I still want to respond well to those situations that uh, I had one guy call me on the phone seriously and just totally F-bombed me for how long. And, and my flesh was like really coming to the top. It's like, no, step away from the phone. You know, so I resolved that kindly, carefully in light of the word. And, and I don't know what came of it, but thankfully I didn't lose my edge in it, so to speak. But, but it has to apply to me first before I expect it to apply to anybody else. But I don't have a problem using it. I mean, <clears throat> excuse me, if, if, if knowing the word is sufficient, and it is, then living the word is just as sufficient, and we need to live in light of it even if we fail. 
If I lose my temper, I lost my temper the other day over something. And it's like I have to stop everything. Scripture says, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. That's true. It doesn't. And if I'm losing my temper, then I'm not honoring him. I'm convinced the handful of times it was actually righteous anger in my life is not good enough. So I always want to respond with the word, uh, specifically with the word, not just some vague notion, but, but knowing the specifics. This is the difference between the Ramphaya sword and the Makaira sword. We want the specific one. We want the word that applies to this situation, and we want to apply it. That soft word, turning away wrath, true statement. That's the way I want it, and yet I'm wired like I'm wired. Do the math on that. And yet I still want that soft word to turn away wrath. So, does that make sense? Okay. Being saturated in God's word is, is the key. There's no way you can respond with the truth if you don't know the truth. Any other questions? How should I respond to the Lord when I try to hear the gospel? Works. You know, I've been meeting with a couple here lately, and, uh, and this may sound trite to people. Uh, you can't convince anybody of salvation. You don't have that authority or that pay grade. That's biblical. And so the point is, I tell them the truth. I want to give them the truth. And my goodness, I would want them to be saved. But this couple I was meeting with the other night, and I think they're both saved, so don't minimize this. But, but laying the truth out there is important. And, and the gentleman said, well, I just don't think I can do that. And I said, well, one thing, you, you really can't do that apart from the work of the Spirit. But there's really only two options. We're either going to follow Christ or go to hell. There's really no other, other don't beat around the bush. I mean, you don't have to be quite so dogmatic. But uh, you can't convince anybody of that. You can tell them the truth and pray that they respond to that. And that's the point. You need to be praying for them. That before you ever get that area of influence that God, I don't have to pray for the whole world. I have to pray for that area of influence that God's got me right in the middle of. Those ones that are coming up to my mind that I'm praying for in the morning, those are the ones that I want to be on top of. I don't have to worry about people I don't know or somewhere else. Just the ones that God's got under my umbrella, on my radar, so to speak. 